This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. If you didn't know already, Costa makes the best fishing sunglasses in the game as far as we're concerned. They've been the only sunglasses that Taylor and I have worn for the last decade. The honest, honest truth. That's all we've worn for, for the last 10 years um, of our fishing career. Whether you go with uh, the blue mirror lenses for your bright, clear days offshore, we use those a lot for the canyons or you decide on the green mirror lenses for inshore shallow water applications, you really can't go wrong with, with any of the lens colors that contain their, their 580 color enhancing polarized lens technology. All of the frames are high performance, high quality. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Fantails. I don't have a super big head. They're a medium frame fit. They've been my go-to frame for the last 10 years. Um, I have them in three different lens colors, blue mirror, green mirror and the new sunrise silver, which has been awesome on overcast days, which anyone who tuna fishes knows those are the days that we dream about, but those have been, those have been great. That new color lens has been awesome. If, uh, if you visit costadelmar.com, you can see all of the products they have to offer and pick yourself up a pair. Costa sunglasses, see what's out there. This episode is also brought to you by deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code CBROS35, that's with a capital S E A B R O S 35, you'll get 35% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's he's made over the last several years. his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the Northeast um Northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna, um, 
you know, you want to take care of that fish as, as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook, and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our our process aboard our boats, and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook. Um, from LT, um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. Our next sponsor is Black Oak LED. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting at a reasonable price for many different industries, including hunting, fishing, military, and tactical. If you're looking to upgrade the cockpit lights, spotlights, under gunnel lights, underwater lights on your boat, uh, make sure you check out Black Oak LED at www.blackoakled.com or at Black Oak LED on Instagram. Uh, Taylor and I just purchased the 360 Marine LED light bar kit uh, with the 30-inch light bar uh, for the new... Um, the new line shy. It's the name of our new center console that will be running um, starting next season. So that kit includes a 30 inch light bar, like I said, and then four flood combos uh, that we're going to kind of spread out evenly across the T top to, um, to illuminate the deck and um, help us get bait on, in low light conditions. Uh, all that for around a thousand bucks. It's a great price point, awesome product. Um, and they have a lifetime warranty. If you need lights and want to go with Black Oak, please make sure you use our promo code GIANTBLUEFIN. Uh, that's all one word, capital G, for 20% off your order. Our guest on today's episode of the podcast hails originally from New Jersey, but now calls Gloucester, Massachusetts his hometown. He has over 40 years of experience giant bluefin tuna fishing and has had many seasons with 50 or more giant bluefin to the boat. For the last decade, he and his crew have been a featured boat on National Geographic's Wicked Tuna, and he has one of the most successful charter fishing companies on the East Coast. Not only is he an incredibly experienced captain, but he has over 25 years of experience being a pilot and is currently a captain at JetBlue. Taylor and I had a lot of fun during this conversation. It's, it's always awesome to 
pick the brain of someone who is legitimately as obsessed with something as you are. Um, so a lot of the focus of this is, is really comparing detailed notes on giant fishing. Um, we really talk through our systems here and what we do similar and theories that we believe in. It, it gets interesting. A lot of laughs. It's awesome. Um, we also try to wrangle the dogs throughout this whole episode. So you'll hear our guest dog and you'll hear, you'll hear Riley underneath the table. It makes for some good banter. And, uh, and somehow Santa Claus also makes it into this discussion. So for all you parents listening to this with kids, I'm warning you now. Be ready for it. Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Captain Dave Carrero. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. Check here. I know. Just don't be like Decabia and give us the Wilson. He gave us like the nose and eyes yeah, only ca- the whole his time. His camera was above his nose. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. Let me, uh, hold on. I wish this thing was just a hair longer. I'm having my, uh, That's what she said. yeah, <laughs> it doesn't even work anymore. That's also what she said. <laughs> Go away. I got, I got the dogs here. I got the dog too. So this is pretty, so that, what are you guys trying to like, just trying to make something out of this or just yeah, having fun I mean, with it? We, we kind of are starting, it's starting to snowball. You know, we have, we have over a thousand listeners continuously cool. on each podcast and I'm going to say at least 75% are like offshore guys, you know, guys that, that, uh, go to the seminars and, and are, uh, are trying to learn. And also just guys that are bored on their boats, you know, down South or mid coast or whatever, listening, have mm-hmm. nothing else to do or guys that are driving in the winter or whatever. Yeah. You know? Um, it's been good though. It's been, it's been awesome. a lot of fun. <clears throat> I mean, the, the do, juice is becoming the worth the squeeze for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's boring, Good. boring as hell in the off season. So to talk fishing is fun. The summer, it gets a little tricky because we're trying to really make time for it, you know, fishing every day. So it's, yep. it's a, it becomes a nightly thing, but <coughs> mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're getting used to it. It took us probably 10 episodes just to understand what we're even doing. How's, well, I'm um, going to, I'm going to put this so it's out. That's fine. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. pulling on the phone. Yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good. I'm gonna let Riley out the door so he stops whining here for a second. It looks a little more half-assed this way, but I can I can move That's a little fine. bit. I mean, we're not rec- we're not a- actually recording anyways, uh, as far yep. as uh, video recording. So it's all audio anyways. Oh, it's all audio. Yeah, it's all audio. We were gonna do oh. video, but I think we're trying to really not uh, lock down and figure out exactly how we're doing the audio, which I think we have now. But um, eventually, we're gonna be video recording too, and you know, probably putting some stuff on YouTube and things like that. But all right, I for now it's just right. audio. So you could be naked if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how's uh, how's skiing going? Uh, I'm I'm struggling this year. I got to uh, like some of the guys that I normally beat are beating me. <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, by half a second, a second, which is a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I'm actually when I when I get done here, I'm heading to uh, Newburyport to go see uh, my surgeon. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my hip. I'm just uh, I'm fighting it too much. It, I can't even. I'm at the start at a super G in a downhole, getting ready to you know do 65, 70, and I got to have another racer buckle my left boot for me because I can't reach it. 
Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, so it's uh, it's it's pretty painful. Uh, I'm not getting a lot of sleep at night. I wake up on average four to six times a night because of a dull pain. You know, it's not painful, painful, but it's a dull pain enough to uh, enough to wake me up, and then I can't fall asleep. So it's uh, it's definitely uh, it's 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 uh, it's uh, affecting my my you know daily life. So uh, is it residual skiing injury, or is it just from? It's uh, when I was twenty. When I was twenty six, I hooked a gate in a super G, which we do often. But yeah. this time, I tore a cartilage, and it's been wearing. It's been you know wearing away, eroding, eroding away since. So it's uh, I have about ten percent of the car- cartilage left, and it's in pieces. So I am bone on bone, and I got a mass. I got a massive cyst on my uh, femoral head right now. So that's really restricting my my. Uh, you know, my mobility. So I just, I had enough the, uh, the other day. I just, it was hurting so bad. I can't, I can't ski the way I used to. It's still pretty good, but I just, I just made the decision to uh, see if I can get a, get in the uh, operating room sometime in April or even May. I'm right there with you. I hooked a gate my junior year and uh, tore my ACL and meniscus, patellograph, the whole night. Did, yeah. yeah. Yep. And I'm now it's getting to that point where it's like, I don't know how much meniscus is really, really still there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's definitely not comfortable. Yeah. You and dad no. both had knee injuries. Yeah. A lot from going off of jumps though. I mean, that's, yeah, that's most stretches of it was, you out. But he's probably, he's, your dad's probably on a phone when he's skiing. <laughs> the, no, <laughs> no, no, no. He's on the radio. He's, he's on, on the radio. radio. He's, got, he's on the radio. He's got a little handheld VHF. <laughs> All right, you want to dive right into it? Yeah, let's let's do it. So, All right, we do these things called rapid fire questions. So, uh, mm-hmm. which you've already kind of seen what we're going to ask you, but you know, right off the top of your head, answers. If it goes into like a little conversation, great. But we're looking for like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like, what do you rather do, or you know, however you want to answer it. Yes just or no. To, just to kind of get the, the the conversation flowing and yep, get people thinking. So go ahead. You want me to start? Yeah. All right. Fishing or flying? Fishing. Good answer. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> J-hook or circle hook? Circle hook all day. What's your favorite circle hook? Super Mutu, 7-0 and 8-0. Herring and mackerel. Wow. Very direct. I like Very that. Very direct. Fresh dead mackerel or fresh dead herring? 50-50. Dead. Oh. Ooh. So you don't, you don't care. You don't... You know, if you had both of them on nope. ice, ready to go, you wouldn't select one over the other? 50-50, depending on where we're fishing. Got it. What spot. Got it. Some places are better with Max. Some places are better with Herring. Yep. We'll get more into that in a bit. Yeah. Um, this is a brain-picking session. Favorite place you've fished for slash caught giant bluefin tunas? Stellwagen Bank, hands down. Hell yeah, baby. How come you like Stellwagen more than all the other places? So you've been to the Carolinas. You've, you've done all that, right? You've done uh, way up north. Georgia. Have you fished PEI before? No, I, I have not. No, okay. no, no, not. But, you know, for, yeah, I mean, obviously for areas like local out of Gloucester, you right. know, Maine, off of uh, Massachusetts, definitely Stellwagen. Uh, the bank, Outer Banks is totally different, different animal down there. It just uh, it's the wild west down there. It's 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 not a pick. It's either it's either it's either a slaughter or it's just not happening. But you know, up here, up up here, definitely a stell wagon. And why I like it so much, it's close to home, and that just seems to be what's most productive for us. Yeah. 
Same. I, I don't know why. Maybe because I fish there more often. If I fished on Jeffries more often, I'd probably say Jeffries. But I like Stellwagen. I'm comfortable with it. Uh, we know the bottom there. Uh, if it gets crowded, we, we can move a mile this way or a mile that way and feel just as comfortable as where we just came from, more or less, and be on our own. It's, uh, it's just It's been productive. And I, I know you guys are there a lot, and I know you guys like it. It's been productive for you. But, yeah, definitely Stellwagen. Agreed. Can't beat a 18 mile run. No. And for him, it's even shorter in some spots. Yeah. 13. Yeah, it's perfect. I guess a sidebar off of that. What, uh, what's been like the major difference between those like offshore North Carolina fish feeding wise and stow wagon in your opinion? I mean, North Carolina is predominantly, you know, a surface feed. They're feeding on the spile fish, uh, they're feeding on bluefish, pogies. Uh, although, you know, the pogies are on top, they are down at, at times, but it's just, like I said, it's just, just sick down there. I mean, a lot of days, you know, you're, you're setting out, you're spread, you know, two, three rods. Some people fish four rods or more, but I, I know this winter down there, just talking to a bunch of my friends fishing that they couldn't even get the second, second, uh, line in the clip, you know, as soon as they put one out, they were on. It was just, it just, uh, incredible. You know, there was just, if you didn't have a bite by an hour after first light, you were doing, you you sucked. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, up here, you know, the deal, we can go out for two days, three days and, and never mark a fish, you know, it's just, uh, it can be a waiting game here and that's right. the way it is most of the time. But, you know, we, we do have some, some good, uh, quiet. <laughs> we, I mean, we, we, we do have some good bites here, but not like down there. It's just a, it's, it's a bloodbath down there for a whole week. Yeah. 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 Um, you're up next guy. Do you have any superstitions on the boat? superstitions yeah, no I'm, I'm not i i uh i don't i don't i don't believe in any of that maybe no. i'm boring maybe i should for fun <laughs> but i uh i don't believe in uh santa claus i don't believe in the tooth fairy i don't believe in magic uh <laughs> well, there's no little kids well there's no little kids listening <laughs> crushing dreams dave carraro the dream crusher well, I, I i ruined so many kids right now <laughs> mom is it true yeah. uh, no, I, I don't have any superstitions you know left foot on the boat right foot on the boat leave yeah. on friday bananas uh just uh, birds flying on the boat no nah, i don't i don't buy any of that whether it's uh it brings good luck or bad luck absolutely not i believe you make your own luck whether it's good or bad i like it i like you know we, we used to have a lot more superstitions last year we kind of starting to break a lot of those like for for years up until maybe three years ago we wouldn't even have the harpoon wow. rigged we would have it yep. unrigged, ready to go. Like the dart could not be on the stick, but it could be rigged. Other than that, but if we had the dart on the stick, it was like, "Yep, we're not getting a bite today." Not getting well, a bite. I, you know, I I've been there. I <laughs> I, I, I you know, Sandro, you know, certain balloon colors oh, work yeah. better than others. You know, hey, we got to put a red out every time we have a red balloon out. You know, we get we get a bite most of the time, or yep. or uh, you know, or or um. You know, don't put Paul was always big when we're fighting a fish. He goes, I don't want the tail ropes on the box ready to go. Because every time we have the tail ropes on the box, we always pull a hook or chafe them off or lose them in someone's anchor or lobster gear. Right. When we get the fish close to the boat, then you can bring it out. And that's when we catch the fish. That's funny. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, you know, both yeah. with, uh, you know, Sandro, Jordy, Paul when he's on the boat. But, yeah, it's funny stuff. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy any of it. But, you know, sometimes, you know, I raise an eyebrow. And I'm yep. like, man, maybe, maybe, maybe. Super, <laughs> maybe superstitions, bad luck, good luck does exist. How about bananas? You have bananas on the boat? 
bananas. We have bananas on the boat all the time. All the time. All the time. Perfect. You, know, you can uh, even on some of the cod trips, haddock trips, we used to put like banana peels on the on the teaser and catch cod. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Um, let's go to this one first, and then that one. Okay. Cool. Biggest tuna, dress weight or whole weight? <clears throat> My biggest tuna is actually Sandro's very first fish that he caught with me some 13 plus years ago. Sounds the very first right. day he was on the boat, the very uh, first couple hours, uh, uh, he was letting out a letting out a, a balloon, letting out a bait, a cod at 15 pulls. And he just very nervous. He didn't know what he was doing. It was his very first day out. Never went tuna fishing before. And I told him, if anything grabs it as you're letting it out, just make sure you flip that little paddle up to that up to that button right there. And again, I had explained he didn't know what all this was. And, and as soon as I handed him the line, as soon as he started peeling it off the tip of the rod and letting the balloon out, as soon as I turned away, I heard Sandra go, Dave, Dave, Dave. And I looked over and I saw him hit that paddle. So it was ripping it out of his hands and the rod bent over. Two hours and 45 minutes later, we had a 128-incher, which was uh, 11 feet long. Holy shit. Sliding through the fish door and Sandra looked at me and said, hey, we're going to make millions. <laughs> I was like, no, you don't understand how lucky you just were to be oh, on yeah. the boat for literally fishing for the first rod out, the first two minutes and catching what was just over 1,200 pounds. That's a slaw. That's weight. a jumbo. Pop the G-bomb cherry right, right off, off the, bat. the bat. That's the way to do it, though. <laughs> Just knock it out right right away. Yeah. Yep. And I, I I I know we're talking about biggest fish, but <laughs> since that <laughs> since that day, Sandra's been on the boat. I couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you didn't want to get rid of him after seeing that thing hit the deck. <laughs> nope. But, but I gave him the next row the next day. He let it out. And we didn't get a bite. <laughs> oh my God, Sandro. Um, we ask everyone this question. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, considering the amount of boats that are fishing you know, in, in the <laughs> I know season, where this is going. if I could have one superpower, I would want to be invisible. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's a new invisible. one. We haven't had that one yet. That's a I, great one. It is. That's amazing. Invisible. Just uh, I can reappear when I want. After I'm done fighting the fish, I can press the little button that says uh, reappear right. with the fish in tow, and nobody would know where I was or what I was doing. Gets bad out there, huh? It does, especially stall wagon. Yeah. Easy access, mm-hmm. lots of baits, or you know, lots of bait, and, uh, just, uh, and lots of fish. So it's, it's, a, it's a popular place, especially on the weekends. Right. Absolutely. Um. So that was great. That's a great one. That was a good one. <clears throat> so could you just kind of go back in time from young Dave to hip replacement Dave and uh, explain how you got into giant tuna fishing, where the passion came from? Um, kind, kind of quick, because sometimes this takes like 40 minutes with some people. Yeah, like Reader's Digest, how you, how yeah. you became a giant tuna fisherman. Just in, in, in a nutshell, I could sit here and talk about this for hours. But as a kid growing up, I always fished with my dad, freshwater, freshwater lakes, uh, ponds by the neighborhood. And um, eventually, oh. hey, it's all good. The, Rat, the listeners love dogs. They so do. Not worried yeah. about it. Riley's here right now. So <laughs> that's that's the puppy there. <laughs> uh, hold on. I got he has his ball that is literally two inches in front of his face and it's, it's underneath something and he's a fr- he he's won't a fr- go into a corner. All right, hold on, hold on. 
That's awesome. Twelve hundred pounder right off the rip. Can you imagine? I mean, I can. I can imagine. I can the imagine. ball is it's it all it's got to do is be underneath something and and he, and he won't get it. But yeah, getting back to it up. Uh, I just uh, graduated from fishing uh, in ponds and lakes with my dad. My dad got a boat. We started saltwater fishing. And, you know, that was at age seven, eight, nine, ten. And uh, we did grow up on the water. We did grow up in, like, a fishing community. And uh, I started going fishing on party boats, just going, uh, you know, blue fishing, uh, fluke fishing. Even though we had a boat that was, you know, we'd fish on the weekends, but I wanted to fish during the week. It was off all summer. So I kept fishing on the party boats. I'd, I'd, I'd save my money from my paper route. Uh, I'd save my money from my allowance, uh, whatever it may be. And, uh, and I just started going not only one day a week, but two days a week on the party boat with my dad on the weekends. And I was going so much on the party boats that they started letting me go for free and I would help. I was, I was buck scrubber, you know, I, right. I'd fish for free. And then, uh, and then when we came in, I clean the buckets, help them clean the boat and I'd go home. And uh, I was doing that all day, every day, uh, for the summer. And one day, uh, the mate didn't show up. Uh, and we needed two mates on the boats and we started, we, I started fishing when we were out there and the captain said, put your rod away. He's, uh, I was like, why? He says, you're working. <laughs> so that's where it all began. I started working on that party boat. It was a 75 foot aluminum boat, the Sea Fox, uh, one of the most popular boats in New Jersey. And, uh, that's, that's where it all began for me. But I worked on the party boat from a very young age. Uh, I'd work uh, all weekend, uh, weekend trips through the winter and summer from the beginning of summer when we were out of school till when we went back, I was on that boat seven days a week. And then, uh, one day, uh, uh, an acquaintance invited me to go giant tuna fishing. I always wanted to check it out and I did go. And, uh, that day we went out and we caught a giant bluefin tuna. And I remember getting in the chair. They put me in the chair for a little while. I was still a little, little kid. I was a hundred pounds wet, 110 pounds. And uh, we caught uh, an 1,103-pound giant tuna. And when that thing hit the deck, I knew from that point on, right there, much like Sandro, this is what I wanted to do. And somehow, some way, I was going to make this happen. And that's, I mean, that's, that's it wild. in a nutshell. And then I just started, I started, uh, and, and shortly, uh, I kept working on the party boats. I kept fishing with these guys, bluefin fishing. And then eventually I got my captain's license at 18 and I started running a, a sport fishing boat, a, a Viking, a charter boat, going to the canyons, bluefin fishing. And eventually I got my own boat and here I, here I am up in Gloucester now. I've been up here 23 years and I've been going at it now for 40 years. You know, there's a lot more in between, but just, uh, just, sure, again, yeah. just uh, as a summary, it's, just, uh, it's, been a, it's been a great ride, 40 years of bluefin fishing. And uh, the, the last day I fished, this year was just as exciting as the first day I caught my, my first bluefin. That was going to be my question. Is it, is it burning you out? I mean, I'm, there's always days that burn you out, but are you excited uh, every morning more or less like you were in the beginning? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more excited when we get the bite. Right. You know, the, you know there's a, yeah, it does get old sitting around, you know, especially as you go through life. You know, you, you, you know more things with family, more things with the girlfriend, the dogs come into play, you know, you have more hobbies. Uh, yeah, so, you know, a lot of times when I'm sitting around waiting for that bite, I, I think about that and what I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you, you think about all the things you're missing out on land, but when the when the rod bends over, you forget about that. Yeah. Hold on, I got I got to take okay. this toy away from the dog. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's the worst toy. 
it sounds whatever toy the dog yeah. has sounds oh, like a yeah. rabbit getting mauled mauled by a coyote. <laughs> uh, I think the funny part is we live his pain too. Yes. Riley is under the table yes. all the time. And during the Corwin podcast, if you if you listen closely, you can hear him with his little whine the whole time behind oh, the door. Shit. It's hysterical. He just wants to be near you. <laughs> oh. So so Dave's first fish was eleven hundred. Yeah, Sanjo's first fish, fish was twelve hundred plus. That's that's <coughs> that's ridiculous. You know, big. So big. like I said, maybe it was maybe a uh, superstition. I don't know. Uh, that's maybe weird. it was meant to be. That was those two thousand pounders, uh, the 1,200 and 1,100 were, was what it took to get Sandra going and, and what it took to get me going. Yep. You sure. know, Sandra's, Sandra's been at it now 13 years and I'm sure he's going to be doing it forever. You know, it's for him, it's absolutely as it was for me and still is his true passion. Right. Yeah. We're on the Sandro and us have a very similar time frame from when we got really into for it. For giant tuna fishing. Yeah. 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 What brought you to Gloucester? Was it Bluefin that brought you to Gloucester? Or was it just, you know, you traveled there with someone else and then decided to go? Or, or how'd that haul? Yeah, yeah, the uh, the tuna fishing in New Jersey definitely dwindled. We, we had a, a very... Get off there! Hey! Hey! Yeah, the tuna fishing in New Jersey definitely dwindled. And uh, when I was in New Jersey, by the way, I was, I was one of those people that really... You are gonna die! <laughs> don't don't don't, no, we'll cut, we'll cut don't don't say that. Mom, this guy said there's no Santa Claus, and he said he was gonna kill his dog. <laughs> Edit that out. Uh, yeah, when I when I was in New Jersey, you know, I, I was one of those boats that was uh, that was in the bleachers watching. I never really caught a lot of giant bluefin tuna there. I did catch, but I uh, uh, I, I knew I could catch more, and I knew the boats that were catching weren't lucky they were just doing something different that i wasn't doing and i and i had to figure it out but when uh, growing up and fishing in new jersey the fishing definitely died out it, it, it you know from when i was a kid to you know you know eight nine ten years later you could definitely see a decline and not only what i was catching but what the what the good the good guys were catching and, uh, and then I decided to check out Gloucester. And I there was a boat in New Jersey that always came to Gloucester for the summer and the fall. And his name was uh, Bob Pisano. He was uh, I'm sure you guys mm-hmm. heard of him. He's mm-hmm. definitely a true legend. He's uh, one of one of the uh, one of the pioneers. And uh, and I came up and I, I just said, hey, I'm going to check it out. So I came up and I fished up here for a week. Actually, we didn't even catch anything. We, uh, we marked fish, but we didn't get bites, but uh, I fell in love with the area. I fell in love with, you know, like the, the fishing spots right outside of Gloucester Harbor. It's just that pinnacle that sticks out. You can go north to Maine. You can go east to Jeffries. You can go southeast to Stellweg and south down the Cape. It was just a perfect central location. There was so many places to fish. So I just, um, I just decided to move everything up here. And, uh, and uh, I met Eric McNiff, as you guys know, which was the owner of the tuna.com. And that boat just happened to be docked next to the one that I was fishing on, Bob Pisano. Hmm. And it was it was the Wildcatter, and that's how I met Eric. And Eric said to me, he says, hey, man, he goes, my boat's right here. He says, you could use this boat anytime you want. You want to come on up? And he goes, it's here. There's no keys. You know, just uh, I'll pay for the fuel and everything. You know, it was nothing back then. It was like 80 cents a gallon, 90 cents a gallon. And he says, have at it. And I, I took him up on it and I was coming up, you know, three, four days a week. And I was coming up seven days a week. I kept driving back and forth from New Jersey. 
I'd fly a few days, you know, and then I would, I would just come, I'd come back up and, and fish. And eventually I just, uh, I just liked it so much. I liked the area. I moved up here. Eric and I became partners on the boat and, uh, Eric eventually got married and got out of fishing. I bought the boat from him and here I am, you know, 23, 24 years later, I've been through, you know, the old dot com, the 31 JC, and we got the 38 Duffy. That was just me. And then uh, we built a new boat, as you see today, the, the 44 Calvin Beal, and we're going to be going into uh, season number six with that. So it's been, it's it's, been six uh, years with that boat. Yeah, this will wow. this will be this will be our sixth, I believe. I feel like so you're just, just building. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it, it goes by fast. Yeah, we have a uh, we have almost five thousand hours on the engine already. Wow, it's amazing. The spring 2021 fishing season here in the Northeast is about to get going. And if you guys are craving more content and want to have a more one-on-one experience with uh, with the crew here at Seabros Fishing, we have now started a Patreon page. Uh, for just 20 bucks a month, you'll get access to weekly live workshops and Q&As with Taylor, myself, and some special guests that we've had previously on the podcast. We're really excited about this new venture We think it's going to be a a great way to interact with the listeners. If you are interested in becoming a member, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Fishing. Again, our membership is is 20 bucks a month. You'll get uh, weekly access to Q&A sessions, live Q&A sessions, and we're also going to be publishing monthly uh, seminar type videos, uh, tactical videos as we move uh, further and further into the season. What's also cool about this is once we get rolling with the charter season, we're going to be able to film these Q and A's live on the boat. So it'll add a whole different dynamic to this um, to this whole program, the whole podcast endeavor that we've that we've been going at for the last year here and now. So. Uh, make sure you check out our Patreon page and um, sign up if you're interested. That's incredible. So, how, so during this whole time, when did you start flying, or when were you in school, or, or how did how did how did that all work out? Uh, I was uh, uh, I ski raced as, as a as a kid growing up, high school, college, and then I quit college to go race on my own. And when I retired from ski racing, I did okay. It was I was not really the best racer. Just it's you got to really excel. You got to be a superstar, and I wasn't. I uh, I didn't want to get out of skiing, and I and I moved out. Here he is, and I moved out. Uh, I moved out west, and I and I coached for a few years, and I was coaching academy kids. I was uh, I was also teaching skiing, and and I, and I loved doing it. And uh, while I was coaching, I would also coach the airlines. You know, my, this is this is a long story, but I was coaching the airlines: American, United, Delta, U.S. Airways, and uh, all the airlines have ski teams and they compete against one another. Huh. Just a real I fun event. That. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and they still do to this day. And, uh, I was, uh, I became really good friends with the, uh, us airways guys and they were chief pilots. There was uh, CFOs in the group, uh, flight attendants. And just, it was just a big, not only did we train and run gates all day and I was their coach, but at nighttime, the dinners, the parties, the hot tubs, yeah. just, Great so you guys. Were, you were with the decision makers before you even realized you were going to get into it. Yep. Yeah. They uh, wow. they said, hey, why don't you become a pilot and then we'll get you hired at U.S. Airways and then you can come and race on our team. And I was like, okay. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's what I did. And uh, one of the guys, chief pilot, uh, his name was Dave Grehan. 
he uh, he get, he gave me a buddy pass, and he uh, met me down in Florida, picked me up, and we went and looked at uh, like four or five flight academies down there. And you know, he just wanted to scope them out, mm-hmm. and uh, we picked one. He said he thought this would be my best choice based on you know uh, the, the rate, you know the, the school, the the notoriety of the school, and uh, that's what I did. I went to uh, went to flight school, graduated from flight school, became a flight instructor, built my time. I got a job flying corporate jets. Uh, I upgraded to captain in less than a year. I flew corporate jets. Then I went to uh, United Express carrier. I flew there in the right seat as a first officer. Upgraded to captain in less than a year. After that, when U.S. Airways was hiring, this was like in the downturn of the economy. They weren't hired for like seven years. Uh, they did hire on the eighth year, and the very first group of interviews that they were ha- having when they were going to start hiring like a, like eight eight hundred pilots a year. I was in that very first interview, like they had promised me. I interviewed, passed the interview, and I was in ground school two weeks later. I feel like, I was, I feel like flying is one of those things that you grew up thinking that's what you're going to do, you know, and then yeah. you made the decision. Pr- Fairly late in life, I guess. Like you re- didn't really think of it. It wasn't something that you were passionate about at the time, right? No, I was just uh, as as far as I was concerned, I was going to be a, a ski instructor and ra- a ski racing coach in the uh, in the winter and continue, uh, you know, running the charter boat in the summer. That's wow. all I. That's all I had. But you know, these guys said, "Hey, come fly with us at US Era. You could still you could still coach, still teach, and you could still fish because you're gonna you're gonna get so much time off hmm. and and that." I've been doing that now for uh, for 28 years, so it, it's worked great. You know, I, I geez, I mean, I get off with vacation. I get off like two months in a row, and when I am flying uh, the relatively full schedule, I'm only working seven days a month, maybe ten, and it's just a uh, it, it's it's a great job to complement the two things I love to do, both skiing and fishing. Yeah, I mean, you have to have that in a seasonal fishery like this, you know. Yeah, if absolutely. You're, gonna, if you're mm-hmm. not going to follow them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. That was perfect. That really was. Um, we're trying to shy away from wicked tuna questions, to be honest. But we have we have one for you. Anyways, um, has it helped you or hurt you on the water being on the show? And, and, and I mean, and it might be a multitude of answers. But how's that been with how you've been treated as, as on the fishermen, water. fishermen looking at you and working with other tuna guys. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to a question you asked me just a while ago. If I could have one superpower, what would it be? Invisible. <laughs> and I said to be, to be invisible, right. You know, being on the show, it's been, it's been a great, it's going to been a great opportunity for all of us, you know, in, in many ways, right. but there are also some negative aspects of it. And being invisible is one of them because you're putting in the spotlight because, you know, people see you catching fish. People knew, you know, we caught fish before, but people know we catch a lot of fish now, even more so than, you know, with the show on. Right. And, you know, they see where we're fishing. They see kind of what we're doing. But uh, it's it's definitely put a target on our backs as to where we're at. You know, when people see, you know, the black boat or when people see, you know, hot tuna or Tyler, you know, it's it, it's it's unknown most of the time is probably fish there. Right. So, it, uh, yes, sometimes we do get mugged up and that can definitely put, you know, a damper on, you know, getting a bite. You know, the more boats you put in one area, it usually shuts it down and if – uh, five fish come through and there's 50 boats there, you know, you, you got, you got a, a one in whatever, 10 chance of getting a bite. Right. 
you know, so it's, uh, you know, but it, 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 it's all good, but, you know, definitely, you know, being on the show again has put a target on all the boats backs and, you know, it's definitely, that's why the invisible would be nice to be invisible and, uh, and go back to people not, you know, mugging us and, you know, being on our own, but that's okay. Like I said, it, it, things that come with, you know, good can also at times be bad. So it, but it's, it, it's all good. It's, there's more good than bad. Right. I mean, the show's been, it's been challenging in some respects for everybody, but it's also been extremely beneficial. I mean, just for us, the amount of people wanting to catch giant bluefin tuna now, just because of the show, you know, we've definitely seen a change. So mm-hmm. it's, it's helped us, but it's also, <laughs> it hurts us with hurts expectations, us with expectations big time. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it, it's definitely brought out some people into the, uh, into the tuna world, but I Absolutely. think as many, I would say for every, uh, you know, for every 10 boats that say, says, Hey, I'm going to be a bluefin tuna fisherman. I would be surprised if not, if, if, uh, one of them lasts, but a couple seasons right. as, as we all know, catching a giant tuna, just buying a boat and buying a rod and reel and going out there and throwing the anchor and slapping a bait on a hook. Is it going to cut the cake? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, uh, as, as we all say, uh, 10% of the boats catch 90% of the fish. Absolutely. And it takes, it takes a long time to get to be in that, you know, 10 percentile. So for all, you know, for the few boats that are coming into it because of Wicatuna, you know, unfortunately they're going to be in for, you know, a rude awakening. And I'm sure many have discovered that, that it's not as easy as appears as seen on TV. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the easy part's definitely the, the expectation that we're talking about. It's, you know, we do have a lot of charters that come on that have an expectation that it's like, oh yeah, you know, when when we mark, when do we get a hook up? <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, You're like, well, you know, it's it's not exactly like that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's sometimes really, it is. Sometimes it is. Yeah, but it's hard. You know, you got to break down those barriers, and more often than not, it's really not that hard to break that down. I think it's just some of it's just a little confusion and. But by the end of the trip, they're typically happy and ready to come back. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. Just, I mean, it's like anything else on TV. I agree. I agree with you 100%. Even when we get new charters, I mean, as soon as you get there, people are like sitting on the rail, like looking at the reel, waiting for the rod to right. bend over and waiting for the drag to go. Yep. And I'm like, you know, you guys, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Right. You know, like, again, what, what you see on TV is, is, uh, is, are the highlights Correct. The, those moments right. but what you don't see is the other 95 percent of the time where we're hanging out just going man this this, this, this is boring <laughs> you know? i mean as, as i as i tell my customers and, and fans of the show that if they were to watch what we did that 95 percent of the time that they would have a better time watching reruns of the kardashians absolutely yeah. It's just nothing to do. You know, just, I mean, it would be boring TV. Sometimes it's On your boat, you can do both. Oh, yeah. yeah you can <laughs> watch the Kardashians <laughs> and hang out. <laughs> we don't have that luxury yet. No, we don't have a radio. For as much as OG likes to talk, he doesn't, like, he doesn't like background noise. <laughs> you, your, back, your background noise, you could just turn the radio on and listen to your dad for <laughs> All <hours>. day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, my God. I actually, I actually, he, he's actually been pretty good the last few years. He's toned it down a little bit. Yeah. Has no. he really? He, I think he has, believe it or not. There was there was some years, you know, he uh we didn't have the rear station. So he was next to the radio throughout every single tuna fight. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, what he got it on, the depth, where he is, 
everything about it, you know, would eventually come out. And and now that he's back there, I'm not going to tell him we can get him an external mic, but now that he's back there, um, I think it's, uh, it's given him time to concentrate on the fish and enjoy it more. He's, he's, uh, I guarantee you, your dad's a smart man, yes. that he's going to get bored of just being back there. And every <laughs> moment he's back there, he's always looking forward. He, he sees the mic hanging and... and <laughs> And, and swaying and it's just like, you know, like, you know, like when you, when you, when you, when you, like someone quits smoking, they go cold Turkey yeah. when they're sitting there watching TV, they keep like reaching for the pack of cigarettes. <laughs> it's not there. It's not there. That's your dad, like getting ready to take a step forward to grab the mic. Yeah. So uh, your dad is going to smarten up. He's going to, he's going to get like a Bluetooth or God, something like I, that. I hope not. Oh, dude, if he has one of those earbud things then. No, if we couldn't handle it. That thing's that. going in the water, along with the bananas he tells the customers to throw in in the morning. Oh, God. He's, like, so detailed. I'm, he's like, oh, he I'm, I'm backing down on the fish right now. I'm turning the wheel hard right. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, we're like, just get off the radio and go back to it. Throw the hard put. We're like, how the hell does he do all this? Does, how does he key the mic and talk and claim that he's turning the wheel yeah. and backing but he down does. on the fish? He, does he, does. he doesn't he's, do that anymore because there's no mic back there. He's like the Wizard of Oz. He's just back Dude. there pulling levers and so, it just happens. So we we're doing a question and answer podcast soon and we did something on social asking for uh, questions from people what, what they want answered and uh one of the questions was when did old greg realize he was a superhero <laughs> oh god <laughs> uh, all right let's go into the technical stuff i actually have a good dovetail into that perfect before we ask the specifics um so we've heard that the phrase, you know, 10% of the fishermen catch 90% of the fish other than time on the water, which we've talked about a trillion times. What are some other key factors to that from your perspective before we, before we dial in on, on tactics and some specifics? Well, I, 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 I like everybody thinks it's, it's always the spot. If you, if you look at these 10% of the boats, when they go in and offload, some of the when they come back out, some of the ninety percent of the boats are back in their spot, and they just move elsewhere. They go half mile this way, half mile that way, and they still, at the end of the day, they still have the same outcome, success. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I mean, there's not it's not one thing in tuna fishing. There's a there's a there's a, a big uh, a big media file just with many many things on it that you know catches catches fish. You know, it's uh, obviously starting with terminal tackle, just everything neat clean you know stealthy uh, smaller hooks smaller crimps uh, uh clean line uh sinkers just you know the just just the just the basics and then of, of course uh the baits what baits do you use use herring mackerel squid cod whiting haddock even pollock you know what bait works best where you know everybody says match the hatch but as we all know that's not always the case and and often it's it's not. And as for baits, what baits do you use, dead or alive? As as you guys know, s- stick baits, dead baits work very well at certain times. You know, how deep do we fish the baits? Are we fishing off the bottom? Fish in the middle of the water column? Are we fishing up top? Variables. Uh, yeah, it's upon just a, it's just a, variables. It's just it's just it's just a big puzzle. And uh, and and ten uh, percent of the guys you know, know most of the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, obviously, we're never going to know it all. If we know it all, we'd be catching a fish every single day right. and we'd be rich and that's not going to happen. But uh, each fisherman, the good guys know what works where. And if it's not working, they're versatile. They can adapt most of the times and execute. 
And that's, that's, I think that's what makes the difference uh, as opposed to that, uh, the 90% of the guys that go out there and just put a herring on a balloon on an old rusty big hook with the crimp that they mashed in a pair of pliers with the sinker that's taped on two feet above the bait. And they show up at nine o'clock <laughs> and they show up at nine o'clock anchor right. on top of you and they just throw it out, just send it down at a, at a rapid pace as the bait's spinning up on the sinker and it's all twisted. I mean, there is a lot of that out there, but it, that's, that's not going to work every now and then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get that lucky bite and get that lucky fish, but you know, it, it, it takes a long time to get where, you know, the, the top guys are that whether you figure it out on your own, which takes a very long time or go out with someone that's knowledgeable and be able to take what you've learned and apply it. I mean, I've had a lot of guys on my boat, uh, start from, from scratch and they fish at me for a few years and then they go out on their own and they, and they can't produce. And then I have other guys like Sandro and Jordy who have come on the boat, taken what they've learned and were able to apply it. And expand from that, just not what, what they've learned, but, you know, to, to build on that on their own and say, hey, I think we can make this better by doing this. You know, and that's the way we operate on our boat specifically. I know we're kind of getting off, uh, off the question a little yeah. bit, but we always say that there's a better way. Always. We can always make this bait better. You know, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. You know, uh, again, just try and perfect it. Innovation is important. Be. Innovation yes. is very important. You know, and, and, and I think innovation, you know, for all of, for all of us, some of the, you know, the better guys, you know, when we learned that, 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 that graph of learning just really just went up and up and up and up. But now we're at a, at a point in our, in our fishing careers where that plateau has leveled off and learning has definitely slowed down. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just, a uh, it's, you know, technology is, is just, you know, we're just, we're not really getting better like we were way back when, when we were learning and perfecting, you know, again, there's still better ways to do it, but how, 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 how do we figure that out? And what do we do? It's, 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 it's definitely that curve is definitely slowed down. I mean, we're catching fish. That's great. Right. But we could always catch more, but I don't think I'm going to catch much, much more than I am right now based yeah, on I what think I think just technology, the way it's evolved, you know, like you said, it's max. It's it hasn't maxed out, but now we're at the stage that all we're really doing is kind of just um, perfect, like just the wind on guides. You know, like has that hooked us more fish? Absolutely not. But has that landed us more fish? I believe so. So like it's sure. things like that, like parts of the process of bluefin tuna fishing. That's that's still somewhat evolving, but at the end of the day, like it's not going to change really change unless there's absolutely uh invisible fluorocarbon 100 percent and you know no no line diameter that's about the only thing that's really going to change and if yeah, you we'll, have, and if you we'll have a cloaking device to become invisible <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know yeah, i mean i mean like yeah i mean technology even you know uh, like for airplanes for instance you know when we started flying some hundred years ago you know we watched airplanes just the technology changing you know uh month after month year after year you know decade after decade but now technology really hasn't changed in the last you know 30 years the airplanes are still burning uh, almost as much fuel as they were back then you know the design's still the same you know we've reached that plateau and i think that's where we are at you know on my boat and probably you guys you know in our fishing you know just uh, what can we do now you know ideas don't come up as much as they used to yeah no that's a good point you mentioned uh, 
you mentioned spots and maybe you should ask this question since you you created yeah, so, it. So um you know the like you said there's there's boats that come in with a fish and they go out and they choose left or right and they may go back to the same spot or they may choose a different spot. How important are you know we anchor on a lot of the same spots within 100 feet and you do the same. How important is that spot to you? compared to the life and the bait and all that type of stuff like are you, are you looking more towards what's under the boat and what's what you're seeing for life around you or are you going okay you know i know they're on there i know they're on middle bank i'm going to sit in this exact spot this is where i'm hanging out like how important is that spot to you you know if, god i i mean if, you, if you're bottom fishing for blackfish and sea bass and you're fishing a reef or a wreck right i look i look at that as a spot yep you need to be on that spot yes if you're not on the wreck you're not on the reef that structure you're not going to catch blackfish or sea bass bottom fish you know tuna fishing obviously we don't have that we don't need to they're not sitting in structure they're not hanging around that wreck they're not they, they move around they swim 10 knots they swim 250 miles a day but you know I, in tuna fishing i don't look at it as a spot i look at it as an area you know just a just you know a, a wide area you know whatever a mile two miles but for some reason uh, like when I go to Stellwagen Bank and I fish the northwest corner, I like to be on my numbers, my my spot, if you will. Right. And and I know that if somebody's there, that I can anchor a half mile from him. But for some reason, whatever it may be, I really wish I was where that boat was. Right. But even though I'm on the same bottom, it's just open muddy bottom. Even though I'm in the same depth that he is in, you know, which is where I was, uh, it's just uh, 120 feet. I'm still a half mile away. I'm on 120 feet. I'm on the same edge. But for whatever reason, it's probably a mental thing. I just feel more comfortable being where I was the day before or a couple hours before, right. you know, catching fish. I don't know why, but same. Uh, same I mean, I, I see you guys. I mean, when we're on middle bank, you know, we're on our spot right. within the area. There could be and no you, one there and you could be in your area and we're in our little area. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And, and, and there are times where, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be, we'll be anchored up and the boat above us is marking a half mile away and the boat below us is marking yes. a half mile away right. and we're not marking. And then you start playing head games with yourself. Well, maybe we should move. Well, why? We're in the middle of two boats that are marking fish. We're both in a hundred, we're all three of us in 120 feet of water. Yep. You know, it just, there's, there's no, again, you, you could play head games with yourself for hours and hours and days and days when you're fishing, especially when you're not catching or not marking. But do you really go move above that other boat or below the other one? You know, this, this, you, you don't know. And a lot of days that went by where those, you know, boats above and below what you would catch fish and you never mark a thing. Mm-hmm. And then you start to question yourself. But then the next day you go out, that boat's above you, the other boat's below you. And there you are, you get three fish and they get nothing. So right. who knows? You know, just, we, we know so little about these fish. We just know how to catch them every now and then. Yeah, there's no doubt that they get patterned for, depending on the weather and the tides and all that, they'll get patterned for a little while. But you have to follow that pattern. You got to see what, what's shifted, you know. And it seems like it, a pattern really may only last, you know, two to five days. And then all of a sudden it'll kind of shift for three, four, five days, and then may go back to the same other pattern. I mean, do you see the same thing? Yeah, oh, a- a- absolutely. And, right. and for instance, I, I remember when we were uh, like drifting down in, in Chatham by the B.E. B. buoy, right? B.E. buoy, yeah. 
And I remember that every morning, you know, the fleet was all around the buoy. Every morning, as soon as you can make out the horizon, gray light, you know, just many boats would hook up. But it was only the boats that were northeast of the buoy. There was boats to the south, to the east, to the west, to the northwest. They wouldn't get bites. But for whatever reason, the fish would pile in just northeast of the buoy, you know, within a you know, mile radius. Mm-hmm. And the bottom is the same all over. It's just all, as you know, it's all whatever, 250 feet deep all over there. It's just a big basin. There's nothing there, just an open, muddy bottom. But for whatever reason, right there, if you weren't northeast of the buoy, a lot of guys didn't didn't see that. They didn't right. know. They were just seeing boats hooked up to the, if they were south, uh, west, they looked to the northeast, say, hey, look at all those boats hooked up. But that's the way it was every morning. Why? I don't know. But there was definitely a pattern there. And that lasted for like a week. I love theories. <clears throat> and uh, I know it drives some people crazy, but they're curious. You know, they're 100% curious animals. It's like, is their approach from that direction? Do they run into that part of the fleet first and then not move beyond it? You know, this You'll never figure it out, but... You the, kind of just have to take what you get yeah. and analyze it and make your decisions. And, that, and that's exactly what it is. It's, 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 it's a theory, and it always will be, because you're never going to know. It's not, like, it's not like if you're in uh, Africa, you know, watching, uh, watching the elephants. You can fly over in a plane and helicopter and observe every movement, how many there are, where they're coming from, where they're going. You can't do that in fishing. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, can only, you, can only, you can only speculate. You know, like Paul, Paul, Paul is great one to talk. He'll, he'll, if he was down there with me, you know, we had customers on the boat. He would say, oh yeah, these fish come in from the Southeast. (laughs) They go to the Northeast of the buoy. Then they head West 10 miles and then go South all the way down into the the Nantucket Sound. And then they come back here in the morning and my customers would be like, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. But Sandro, you know, and I, when we hear him talk like that, we're like, these people are buying this hook, line, and sinker. He has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> What's amazing to me is it that sounds every, good. everybody within a, a, a 40, 50, even sometimes more than that mile radius will all hook up within an hour of each other. Mm-hmm. So how the hell could these this pod of fish be moving like that? It's mm-hmm. when they decide to eat, they're going to decide to eat. And let, and let, let me ask you guys a question. Yeah. How come when we're – if I'm up the northwest corner – and you guys are down at the southwest corner, and I'm talking to you guys uh, on the, on the cell phone. Yep. And you guys are marking. You guys, everybody down there's marking. You, you tell me, and I'm like up at the northwest corner. I'm like, yeah, we're marking too, and so is everybody else. We're just they, they won't bite. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'll call you and I'll say we're on, and five other boats are on, and then you'll say, yeah, we're on, and so is everybody else. What's the trigger? Why all of a sudden? It's it fish that are 20 it? miles apart just start biting. Again, it's, it's all theory. We're never going to know. But w- why is that? Why do like, fish turn on all of a sudden? And these fish, it's not like I'm in the same fleet as you. I'm 20 miles away. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, different so bait, something must everything. have happened. Mm-hmm. You know? It's just wild. For a while, we thought that you know, there was a pattern of them. Sometimes there is a pattern of them moving north or south along the edge of the <laughs> bank. But then, like you just said, that would happen. Or, you know we would text you or you would text us saying we just marked two and like literally we, I'd be texting the same thing back. We just marked them too. So mm-hmm. it's like, how are they in a line, like a fence? And are they just popping up onto the bank for a second to eat? And then the fence is back off. Have they been there the whole time they and they've there? just been staying outside of your range, you know, yeah. until that moment. It's <laughs> you know? crazy. 
Yeah. I, I, again, we're, you're, we're never going to know. You yep. can just you can just purely speculate, and you know, and it, and it really doesn't matter to us. But we want to know. Right. We're dying to know. But what matters is when the, that we can get the rod to bend when they're there. Right. Yep. But still, as fishermen, we're just just like the fish are curious about us. We're curious about them and why they do things they do. That's what keeps us frothing so that, for that's it. That's like a perfect segue into some some of the, these other ones here. Um, so we talked about spots. So maybe we'll get a little, just a little more technical. What are some like tips you can give some people for, you know, you're, you're always there. You're typically the first person in the area or one of the first three people in the area when you're setting up in the morning or you may just set up in the middle of the night. What's like, what are you prepping for in the morning and, and what, um, what are some tips to help get people that early morning bite sometimes before the sun even rises like is there anything because it always seems to be that there's the curious george fish there's the no matter what the tide is there's always seems to be usually like the first boat to the bank or the first boat to the spot gets a bite and then there's the bites on the tides so, so what are you doing to like try to, I mean, I know what we do, but what do you, I'm curious to see what you do. Is there anything you're doing differently? Are you, you know, are you looking for something different? I, I mean, I, I like to get there early to yep. get my spot. Right. <laughs> uh, again, I, I don't think and it matters. Right. Yep. And you see a lot of guys coming out late, you know, the sun's already up. I already have my spot. I already have my bait because I had them in the lights. I have a live well full of full of uh, herring, full of mackerel, squid that we worked on getting at at night. Who knows? I may even have a fish ready that I caught in the dark. Right. And I'm ready to go, and uh, and I have been going. And while these guys are coming out on the anchor, and they're spending an hour, two, maybe three hours with no bait because they weren't there at night with the lights on, and now they can't get bait. So now they got to hop off their anchor. They got to drive around, waste more time, and get bait. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know, for us, it's it's getting there early, having a, a you know full arsenal of live bait and dead bait, and you know, fishing at night. Do we get a lot of bites at night on Stellwagen Bank? No, but have we caught fish? Yes. You know, I catch five fish a season in places that we never catch them at night. So that's five more fish than anybody has that comes out late. Uh, but you know, again, for me, I like getting there early. I like being relaxed. And, uh, and uh, you know, that definitely works for us. You know, I mean, there's a million things we could talk about this forever. You know, Absolutely. what I could, what I, what I can, you know, for tips. But um, I think for a lot of people, I go on their boats for people that are just getting into it or for people that have even been into it for a while. And I look at their gear and it's like, wow, mm-hmm. how these guys are never going to catch a fish. Again, just the rusty hooks, rusty hooks with no chafe. Uh, Big giant different tag ends. Uh, oh, it's just it's like it's like horrible. Um, and then I look at their crimp box when I'm on their boat, and their crimps are all mixed up like in a jar. You know, H crimps, I crimps, G crimps, uh, F crimps, and they just reach in. And I've watched it before. They just grab a crimp and they say, "Oh, I think this this uh, this feels good." And then they squish it. I'm like, mm-hmm. "Wow." Uh, just short leaders, big swivels, big corroded swivels, and you know, I, I think you know. Right there in the beginning, that, that's I think you're only as strong as your weakest link. And I think before you can even put bait on the hook, you got to have good terminal tackle that's that's maintained. I mean, if you come on my boat, even without any fishing gear out, my boat is immaculate. 
And that mirrors the rest of the boat, our gear. It's immaculate. Everything is meticulous, like you guys. All mm-hmm. the, Just all the crimps are sorted out. We don't mix them up. We right. have different size lines. We have different hooks for different baits. Uh, just uh, our leaders are all stretched out, wiped down. It just uh, it's, 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 I mean, does it help? Absolutely. Effort. You know, for every, yeah, you got you to put effort into it. Every little thing you do, you know, the, again, being meticulous is to your advantage to getting that bite and to having your gear hold up to get that fish. You know, you got to be meticulous if you want to be good. And uh, I don't, I don't think there's any other way. One other thing too, I mean, you know, keeping neat and tidy and clean, fish are smart, have big eyes, can see a lot, but it also maximizes hook time. The more organized you are, the faster you can re-rig. The f- oh, absolutely. The more systematic you are, mm-hmm. the more you're fishing. It's simple mm-hmm. math, really. Right. <laughs> you know? Sure. I mean, yeah, to, to re-rig, to be fast and to be, to be, you know, like on my boat, we each have our job, you know, if, I mean, if you, if it's multiple fish a day, as quick as you get that fish, you could rapid fire and get your baits back right. out and get another one. Everyone's like, how the hell did you catch four fish that fast? Because as soon as we got back on the ball, you know, Sandra has his job to baits get on the ball, in. the baits are in and we're going. And they're before we even know it a lot, we look back and the rod's <laughs> bent over. Right. Yeah, they're eating. So, you know, s- speed. Yep. Um, and then if you lose a fish, you know, to get back on the ball. You know, have another rod ready to go. You know, like when we're out, I'm going back to the spot, if we lose a fish or we have one, Sandro and Jordy both know that one rod in each each side of the boat, ready to go, stretched out, wiped down, sinkers on, balloons ready to go, baits ready to go. As soon as I spin around on that anchor, that bait's going down and we're fishing again. Waste no time, especially, you know, when, when the bite is on. Right. Yeah, it's super important. Um we talked a little bit about marking fish, getting a bite, not getting a bite. Any, I mean, I, like Taylor said in the last question, I know we have our, our system, our thoughts, our theories, but what about turning a mark into a bite? You know, you got a looker on the down, you know, my, multiple fish, single fish that's back again, what have you. What yeah, are you, what I, are you I mean, doing to, we, to try to get that bite? I mean, we've all been there. Most of the time on our down rod, we have a, we have a, a stick bait, whether it be which is a dead bait, whether it's a it's a herring or a mackerel. We love love stick baits, but just say we have a live bait on the down rod. We're just lazy that day. We've had bites all week on uh, balloon rods or on the down rod on a live herring. A lot of times, I, I love and we all love it. A streaker coming off the bottom, just vertical, just cruising right up, not lazy, Ooh, just rocketing. Getting me excited, just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're just watching that rubber band uh, get ready to stretch out, yep. you know, and get, letting that slack go out. The fish is turning and all of a sudden rod laps over. It's nothing like it. But how many times have you had, I know I have, where you get that streaker just coming up, kissing the stops. bait, stops and just goes down. You know, it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down, and you can't get the bite. And most of the time I see that, I see the, the herring or the mackerel, the live bait on the rod is – when he sees that fish cruising up, they start swimming away and you start getting line angle. Again, this is, this is, this is not again, this is just a theory. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when that herring starts swimming away, it goes from 90 feet to 80 feet to 70 feet. That line is now stretched out. The fish is no longer looking at it as a point, right. but he's looking at it at a 45 degree angle. Yep. And, uh, and now the sunlight is hitting it, you know, perfectly where it's really it's able to be seen. Obviously, if you have a hot fish, you could put cable on and he's going to eat it. But a lot of times these fish are smart. And I got, I'm got i going to get back to that too. 
Uh, but a lot of times you'll see these fish shy away. They come right up. They see that leader. I, I believe that's what they see. They don't like it, and they turn around. They go down to the bottom. Then the herring dives back down, and then the fish swims back up, and it repeats itself. The herring starts to beeline that way. It goes from 90 feet to 80 to 70. The line gets at a, almost a perpendicular angle to the fish's line of sight, and, uh, and he doesn't take it. That, to me, is you know the fish seeing the line. And if that fish sticks around, we've had it. We'll have a lot. A lot of times, we'll have a stick bait ready to go. Now we fire out stick herring, okay? Which is just a bait, as you know, and for the for the listeners, it's just a dead bait. It's, there's a lot to it. I can't go into all the details on how to rig it. it. Takes a little while, but that bait is looking perfectly like a live fish, but he's not moving. Fins are out and erect. It's it's sitting perfectly. Now, when that tuna comes up off the bottom, and sees that. He's looking at that bait, perfect silhouette, uh, the, what do you call the peck fins out, right. and, uh, and the tail moving a little bit because we've, we've, we've loosened it up. It's just wiggling. And now that fish, the tuna's coming straight up as he was at the herring, but no longer does the stick bait move. It stays in place. And he's looking at that line as, as a point. He can barely see it. And then the rod laps over it. Right. I mean – And for people that are listening to – when he's saying the line at a point, it's like the – perfect way of describing it. So, so when you're looking up at the line coming straight down from the surface, Can you know, vertically, it's, it's a point. When, it, when, the fish starts, when the bait fish starts swimming away from the predator, now you've got this horizontal line. The sun can penetrate the line a lot easier, and now the whole line lights up like a Christmas tree. Correct. It's like pointing in somebody's face. Right. You're, you're pointing your finger at them. Yep. They, 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 they can only see your finger, but they can't see your arm, and the arm represents the line. Right. Now, if you point away from them, can see everything. They can, they can see your whole arm, and that's what the fish is seeing, and they don't like that. At least, at least that's what that's my theory. We'll never know, but it makes theory. perfectly good sense. Yep, perfectly good sense. And also on a stick bait, <clears throat> it's advantageous because you could use heavier line. Yeah, yeah, it's hiding it. What about what about the bite itself with a stick? Are you treating it any different than a live bait on the down or, or, or whatever? Are you giving them more time to eat it, or are you trying to come <clears throat> tight right away again? No, well, we fish all circle hooks, so it's important that before uh, before the rod tip starts to bend that the fish has a chance. Obviously, when a fish grabs a bait, it's turn and burn. As quick as they were coming up, they grab it, and they go right back down to the bottom. So I want to give that f- fish a chance to turn around, start getting ahead of steam towards the bottom, having the line parallel his body, and then all of a sudden the rod bends over. So we fish, we fish drop back. You know, I have the rubber band girth hitched on the line. That's what's holding it, and the rubber band does more than do that. It, it, it compensates for the up-and-down motion of the boat. It counters the sinker, so the sinker stays in place. The bait stays in place. It's a good presentation. And then I pull out maybe like five, six, seven feet off the tip of the rod and just let it just dangle, you know, dangle in, the, in, the, in the breeze if there is one. So now when the fish grabs that bait, does the turn, rubber band starts to stretch, and you can slowly start to see the line coming tight, and then the rod bends over and that's perfect. Now, now that's what the circle hook has to do. It has to. It comes around, and most of the time, ninety percent of the time, gets hooked in the jaw. If you just had it hanging from the rod tip, I see that all the time. You guys do. Mm-hmm. No rubber bands as the boats rock, and the bait is getting jerked up and down. So your live bait is probably dead, or it may even be gone because it's it's too violent on it. Right. And and the presentation is absolutely horrible. And if you do get a bite. By the time the fish turns, the hook most of the time slingshots out of the mouth because the line wasn't able to parallel the body. Right. 
Yeah, and we've, you know, you and I have definitely gone back and forth with this with circle hooks and drag pressure and all that. You know, I remember last year we had some days that we were frustrated with, um, you know, ripping the hooks out of these things' mouths. And, you know, we, we have fished so much in Canada where they've now used circle hooks for uh, ten, almost 10 years. Almost 10 years, yeah. 100%, you know, circle hooks. So it's like to see them, we kind of adapted that to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you know, you seem to put a lot more heat on them right off the bat or just full heat on them right off the bat in the rod holder. And you seem yep. to hook them just as well as we do. So I don't think as long as the fish has a head of steam away and you're not coming tight with the fish running at you, I think you're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Yeah. How many times have you had a, had a bite on a balloon rod where you see the balloon coming towards the boat? It's, worst case scenario. And then you start case. reeling. Yep. And then the hook just, you just pull the hook right out of the mouth, whether right. it be a J hook or circle. Yeah, you can get a snare, it's possible. But right. if you use the circle hooks, most of the time it just comes right out yep. and he's you gotta, gone. You gotta be patient. As hard as that may it's be. Hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> Sometimes you can't be patient. You know, they, they eat that middle floater and they're ripping at the boat. You kind of just have to like reel, not insanely fast, but reel just enough to get pressure and then the fish can take line and, and you know, turn the other direction. For mm-hmm. Enough, mm-hmm. enough pressure to feel the direction of the fish. Right. You know? Yeah. But oh, yeah, uh, yeah. It's everybody does it differently, uh, but the premise you, is all the same. And you know, people use J hooks. You know, that guy that had a J hook on the far floater with the fish swimming at the boat has a better chance of getting a snare, right? Than we do on the dot com using circle hooks. Yep. But again, I think for us, it's advantageous to use circle hooks because we're using one fifty, sometimes one eighty, and you. It's nice to have that hinge hook. Because you don't have to worry about chafe as much right. as you do with a J hook. Right. Going across Super the teeth. Super important. Very. Yeah. Especially those big slobs. I mean, especially in the beginning of the year, it seems like those fish got big teeth for migrating and they're just ready to chafe everything off. It's it's if you yeah, if you take if you take a line, just experiment, especially on a big fish with the big teeth, and just rake it across at the dock. Watch what happens to that line. Watch how quick it breaks down. Right. And that's for the fish. You know, a lot of times the fish will shake, but you can have a fish that's got hooked and it gets, the line can just lap over right at the quarter there in the corner mm-hmm. and it never, it never moves across, never moves across the teeth at all. It yep. comes out unscathed. You know, there's, you know, fish do different things. Some shake, they rake it and other fish will just, it'll come back perfect. It never moves out of the corner. Yep. Um, do you want to ask him that? Um, yeah, we kind of already touched on this. Back at the ninety percent, ten percent catching fish. Um, how important is it to you? And it's extremely important to us when when these fish are coming through. And how many days do you think it takes to understand when the fish are coming through? How many years does it take to understand? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking more of like a guy that hasn't been out all week and it's going out on a Thursday. He has an extreme disadvantage compared to someone that's been out all week seeing where the bites kind of are taking place and what time of day and, and what, are they behind the whales? Are they in front of the whales? Cause you get those little patterns for three to five days and then it kind of may change. So how important is it and to what, you to know, like, are you, are you prepping for when the fish are coming through? Yeah. I mean, obviously if there's just like going back to that, uh, fish in the bee buoy, you know, it's just, it's nice to know that every morning there was a first light bite just on the Northeast side. But, right. You, so knowing that, as opposed to the guy not knowing it, that's just coming out for the first time. And I understand that. Not everybody gets to fish every day. Right. Some people do it recreationally. Some people have other jobs. So it's a, it's a disadvantage. But, you know, 
being able to fish every day, obviously, again, it's advantageous. But knowing that they're there every day, I want to be northeast of the buoy. So if I drifted southeast, you know, in the dark, I know I got to move back up there, yep. you know, during the, uh, you know, right before gray light. And not only that, but knowing what bait they're biting on and what depth. And specifically, that bite there was on the bottom. It was directly on the bottom. Your sinker was dragging the bottom. Wow. And we were, we were catching them on mackerel, mm-hmm. just flutter baits, dead baits. Yep. So, you know, if somebody, if that guy did see us up there and did uh, come up there, you know, he said, hey, this is the dot com. It's my first day out. He probably knows where the fish are. Now he's got to figure out, hmm, what am I doing here? What bait am I going to use and, and what depth? So he's most likely going to have a, a live herring in the middle of the water column while yep. everybody else around him is getting bites and he's not. So it's, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things that go with it. Um, but uh, fishing heavy line, you know, it's, it's nighttime. You know, visibility is not that great. You know, you can get away with it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just there's – what was the question again? <laughs> all, all good. <laughs> all good. It's, all good. <laughs> it's more or less like, uh, you know, are you, are you changing anything? So say, say you know the tide's at 9 a.m. and it's uh, 7.30 uh are you are you prepping for that tide are you, are you yeah. just like all right here we go you know it's gonna happen at you know eight o'clock an hour before the tide or, or whatever just from t- you know i know we communicate with you and you communicate with us and we kind of just from talking to people you can figure out more or less within the hour when these fish are going to come through a lot right, of right yeah i mean we're, we're prepped i mean uh, right. i mean if uh, just uh, for example if, if uh we were all getting bites right on the tide change on a herring at 15 poles 90 feet Mm-hmm. And I only have two herring in the well. Um, I'm not gonna. Save I'm her. not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna save them. You know, as as hard as it is, uh, if I can't get bait and I have no bait, I'm gonna. I'll just keep the rods out and save those two herring for that time. Yep. Again, as difficult as it may be. Obviously, we always have dead bait on the boat. We could fish a stick bait or something like that, or or a squid or something. But I'm gonna save my my star baits. You know, for that bite. Same. We so do the just, same thing. Even like if we, you know. It's been a floater live herring deal. We'll save those big, fat, juicy ones that really cover the hook for that tides. You know, when we think the fish, again, theory, when we think the fish are going to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any other, uh, like, specific rules you have with Jordy and Sandro? Like, systematic things that you do not change, you know, to keep yourself from second guessing, you know, from day to day? Just just standards yeah i mean i mean you know both of those guys know you know each spot fishes a little different how we fish on the northwest corner is really different than how we fish on the southwest corner we just try and go with what has worked in the past i keep everything in a logbook i keep a very detailed logbook you know on, on what baits we used what what size line what hook you know was it a tide bite was it a midwater bite was it cloudy was it sunny? Was it a full moon, crescent moon, whatever it may be? But you know, even without that logbook, we don't really have to reference it because we live it. You know, we, we know it. But yeah, we definitely those guys know. Like I, I know when Sandro goes down to the down in the southwest corner and he, he calls me up when I'm flying. He says, "Hey, I got one." I go herring at eleven. He's like, "Yep." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, we it's uh it's it's pretty much the same thing and. It's not an exact science, but, you know, we're not going to put it at 12. We're going to put it at 11. You know, just every place fishes differently. Not only the depths, uh, not only the baits, but, um, you know, whether it's a, it could be dead or alive, you know. Uh, again, but then there are other times you could put a cod out 
on a bull, on a, you could put a cod out on the southwest corner on a kite. Not that I would ever do it, but you might even get a bite on that. You know, right. it's, again, you could have all the pieces of the puzzle. There are those days, and you guys will agree, where we are catching nothing. And the guys that are just coming out for the first time during the week are catching fish. Right. They're like, wow, look at that. And most of the time, rest assured that you know it's just a flutter bait, a herring or something that they just slapped on a hook. Because mm-hmm. most of them don't know how to do the stick baits or, you know, it could be a live bait also. But uh, it's usually something that we're not doing. And I've had many days like that where we were the spectator and the 90 percentiles were catching and the 10 percent were watching. Right. Mm-hmm. You does men- happen. You mentioned uh, a little bit ago, which you, you said you wanted to get into. You said these fish are smart. What kind of triggered your brain <clears throat> to say that? Oh, yeah, because we were talking about we were talking about having a having a streaker coming up on the down rod, yeah. just looking at it up and down, up and down, up and down. And I believe that fish can retain like a dog or like a human. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, some humans, I wouldn't say that about my friends. Some of them can't retain. <laughs> but let's, let's the dog, you know, a, a dog knows, you know, when you get up in the morning, he's going to get fed. Yep. You know, they, they have that memory. And I, and I think a tuna knows what's right and what's not right. Yeah, when when they're when they're when the frenzy's going on, they'll eat they'll eat anything for the most part, dead or alive, four hundred pound test. It, it doesn't matter. But when you get that finicky fish, he's just he just doesn't like what he sees based on the past. You know, yeah. he doesn't know what a hook is, he doesn't know what line is, but he knows it doesn't look right. He retained, and people say, "Ah, oh, fish can't remember that." And I always use the example: remember when you were a kid and you had your goldfish bowl in your bedroom. And when you would come home from school and you would walk into the room and that goldfish would see you and he'd come right to the top of the bowl and start swimming, you know, back and forth, back and forth. He's like, feed me. Right. Now that fish is just a few months old, maybe a year, and has just a little pea brain. But he can associate you with the hand that feeds him. Learning, Learning has occurred. Now you look at a giant bluefin tuna comparison to the goldfish, 20, 25, maybe 30 years old, a brain the size of a softball. They've been around. They've seen it all. So I think that fish definitely retains more than the goldfish. So getting back to what I was saying, you know, when you see a fish coming up on the down rod and you're not getting the bite, I think that fish sees something and knows something isn't right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree because, like, the days that seems red hot <clears> – <throat> A lot of times they're either a slightly different size class or they're a little skinnier than the ones you've been catching or whatever. Like, or it's competitive feed for sure. You know, mm-hmm. just a new body of fish moved in and the whole thing's on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I totally agree. You know, there's 100% Southwest Corner resident fish that are there for sometimes. I mean, we caught one and then two months later we actually killed it. We released it and then two months later we killed it within yeah. like three miles of, of itself. And uh, I think there's like resonant fish, like you said, that see the same thing, the same herring middle water column, you know, with a hook in it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those just become harder and harder to hook. And eventually they get caught, but sometimes you get to change it up a little bit. Yep. And whatever that may be. Right. And you look at, uh, just expanding on this, you look at George's bank. Why can you go out there and just throw anything in the water? And they just pile on it. No you know, those there. are ocean fish. Yeah, there's yeah. no one there. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, and then, then you put some boats there for a week, two weeks, and the fish become more finicky. So 
maybe learning is, has occurred again. You know, I, again, just as pure theory, it's all theory, but right. I think it, I think it's pretty accurate. I have a actually example to add to that from Canada and Taylor's been up there for this same experience and I'm sure you've had the same, but 50 fish on the screen. You should have competitive feed all day long. You should be able to put anything down, rip it out of your hand. And they won't touch it. They will not. As soon as the leader gets six to 10 feet underneath the boat, the screen is blank. As soon as the lead, you try to get it down and hold a live herring out of the net, flutter bait, stick bait of 50 feet, you know, you're fishing shallow there, 90 feet, 85 feet of water. They vanish. And as soon as that lead, as soon as that line comes out, there's 50 fish back on the screen. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that they haven't learned, you know? Yeah, like I said, I, I'm a true believer that, you know, mm-hmm. they have learned. But that, <laughs> and then the question comes, what do you do to get them to bite now? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's all that matters. Yeah. Oh, but the kite up, I mean, on, honestly, it's just like, t- a lot of times we take all the lines out of the water and start grilling hamburgers and put that's the kite up. The bite. I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, and those hey, fish will come I, from the bottom and eat a kite bait, no problem. Yeah. yeah. How far underwater do you think they can see? Uh, that, I, I knew you were going to ask that. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have, I have the perfect, I have the perfect um, uh, scenario. Not yeah, perfect scenario that happened. I was fishing with Irish Johnny on the old dot com. We were down in Chatham, and we were in three hundred feet of water, and it was pitch black. And most of the time, when I'm fishing at night, after I get my bait, I fish in the dark. No, no lights on. I. I had a stick bait, only had one rod out. It was just a, a stick bait, stick mackerel. Oh, let me get rid of this decline. I had a stick mackerel out 90 feet, 15 pulls, and we were fishing in 300 feet of water. Again, pitch black. So you can, you can barely see the hands in front of your face. And I can imagine being down underneath, you know, it's, it's even darker uh, to our eye anyway. And I had a fish just worming on the bottom. I could just see him bouncing around. And then all of a sudden, just took a beeline, not a, not a slope line, just straight up, straight up. And I'm like, this fish is just cruising up. But I just watched him come up, come up, come up, and I could see my stick bait on the machine at 90 feet. So this fish swam up 210 feet. In the and dark. that rod, in the dark, and that rod just lapped right over. Boom. And we never got the snare. We never, we never got the hook in it. It just bent over, and the rod just snapped back. What, we, what I'm getting to is, is your question. I know for sure that fish didn't just streak up. He saw that bait, however he did. That's and, I, and that's just one example. I, you know, that's happened many other times, but not that 200-foot, 210-foot separation. I've never seen 200. That's um, incredible. I should say out east, though, we were <clears throat> catching a lot of those smaller fish uh, with charters and stuff this, this past year, you know, in 400 feet. And they were, they were coming up close to 200, but not, you know— not in the dark, not after one bait. You know, those bait all over the surface, you would think they'd be coming up anyways, but mm-hmm. to come up to eat a bait 210 feet in the dark is absurd. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And then and, and another example, uh, real quick, uh, Sandra and I, uh, on, the, on the Jeffrey's, we just got done tying up a fish in the dark, and we're heading back to the ball. The only lights that were on were the nav lights. And we get back on the ball, and the herring are just swarming under the boat in the dark. And I just put out a live herring. And you, you could look at the machine. It was just pure red out. And Sandra was like, what? you know, you could see the fish coming up. All of a sudden, the herring are all broken up. You could see the fish worming around. And Sandra was like, watch your hands, watch your hands. And it ripped it right out of my hands. Holy crap. Now, like how that tune-up, 
isolated that one fish that I had on the hook out of all the other ones in the dark and ate it. And why did he eat that one, you know, and not, not the other ones? You know, he must have seen it, must have seen it swimming differently. Obviously, they all swim differently when they're on the hook struggling right. a little bit. But, and we did catch that fish also. But just amazing. We were like, wow, how did he see that? And how did he pick that one herring out of the bunch? And it's just pitch black. We're fishing the pogey schools. The only time we actually got them to bite, not on the right gear, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was, was, you know, grabbing a pogey and flipping it up in the air as high as you possibly could, get it to smash in the middle of the bait ball to separate the bait ball. And then you'd have 20 to 30 seconds to fish it. And then you'd have to do it again. And mm-hmm. Do it again and do it again. You had to create that pocket. That was the only way to get him to bite. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it's we unbelievable. Got, we got two more quick. Well, they could be quick. Um, we've already talked about fishing. You fished all over the place, but you know, do you still fish for fun? Do you travel and fish for fun, or is it more work now? No, I mean, uh, for me, I've been fishing for fun since day one. Yeah, but now, now I just get paid to do it. Right, it's perfect. Still, still, still fun to me. Are there it's, any it's, other speed? Any other species that drive you or drive you as much as bluefin or you're passionate about, or is it g- giant BFTs only? You said this will be quick. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> I can care less about catching any, anything else. Maybe, you know, going, going fly fishing in the mountains, catching a couple, you know, rainbows or cutbows or something like yeah. that. But no, there's nothing that, uh, I right. mean, I could have, I could have a thousand pound mako on. And Sandra and Jordy could be back there. The fish could be jumping. I'll go in the cabin. I'll eat a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's funny is you are one of many giant fishermen slash big game fishermen that say their other, you know, their other type of fishing they enjoy is being a feather merchant and fly fishing or doing something completely yeah. different, different. Yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, How about scary or life-threatening things that, that have happened on the boat or in the plane? Uh... Let's go. Let's go with the boat. My most memorable and most scariest moment was uh, fishing the old dock on the 31 JC down in the Outer Banks. Uh, there was about half a dozen, maybe ten of us out there, and uh, we it was supposed to pick. It was supposed to blow in the afternoon, 50, 60, 70 knots, uh, cold front coming through in a low pressure system offshore. And we said, hey, we'll, we'll get the morning in, we'll get our fish and come in. But that low pressure started to arc out to the east. And that cold front accelerated, and it just came out of nowhere. It just went from zero wind to full-on gale. And we were in full survival mode. I've never seen – we were in 30-foot seas in a 31-foot JC, and it was, it was horrific. And Paul Hebert on the Wicked Pista was out there in a 23-foot sea craft. Oh, wow. Uh-huh. Moly. And uh, oh, that's uh, that's another story. But the whole center console, the whole center console ripped off and fell on top of him and pinned him on the seat. But that's that's his story. But wow. but for us, it was just uh, it was a following seat coming home. And for every mile or so that we would come in, we would have to turn around and go a half mile back out. So we were gaining ground so slowly because I had my deckhand in a survival suit looking back and telling me when that big wave was coming and was cresting and i would as quick as i could i know it's a dangerous move i would turn the boat around take the wave head on i would i would dodge right or left to try and get away from the peak 
if, if it did exist, yeah. where I'd take it head on, you know, over the bow of the boat, over the bridge of the boat. I knew that with the JC, they're not very good in following sea, that if I did take it as a following sea, that I would pitch pull, I would roll over, I wouldn't make it. So, and that's what a lot of the other boats were doing. They, you just see them turn around. They were just massive, massive mounts. And uh, not only were they massive, but they were, it was very, very short. The boat really never took a beating other than, you know, almost blowing out the windows and, and ripping the mast off. We never really took that pounding because when you would come down the backside of it, you know, heading into it, it would just, it was nice, a nice mellow drop. You know, they weren't, it wasn't so steep on the backside. But uh, going home and just looking back and just seeing that wave coming at, you know, had a lot of teeth. Uh, I just, I really thought that we were not going to make it home that day. But we all stuck together. Everybody ran in groups of, uh, you know, twos, threes. There was a Coast Guard helicopter uh, watching us. Uh, they were more or less watching Paul. He, he was he was he was in big trouble. He was he just had so much water in the boat, and he he couldn't. He, the bilge pumps weren't keeping up with it. Every time every time uh, the water would come out, he got swamped by another wave. Um, but uh, and and the center uh, the whole rooftop ripped off his boat, so it was like sitting up in the bow. So he was in a bad situation. Oh, but wow. but for myself and others, you know, we still talk about that day to this day how how big it was. And then when we did get into uh, Moorhead, into the channel, we couldn't go in. We had to stay out there. So you went through all of that, and then you couldn't even to go get in. there. You just you couldn't do it because those waves were still coming. But now the spacing was half of what it was, you know, in the deep water, and it was twice as steep. You would have never made it. And the Coast Guard boat was, you know, inside, you know, telling us not to come in, and uh, rightfully so. None. I don't think anybody would have done that. So finally, when we did get the tide change and we got the incoming tide, we were able to go to go in, but it was still super, super scary. And then when we did get in, the wind was still galing 50 miles an hour, 50 knots, that we couldn't even go into our slip. So we had to hang out in the turning basin for hours. <laughs> and we, you know, all, all we wanted to do is just go in, oh uh, just God. tie up and, and just you know, turn the heat on and just crawl up and fall. So now we had to sit out there. You just, you know, you could have risked going in and docking, but you, all you had to do is get sideways and you were wow. just blowing your windows out in somebody's pulpit or something like this. Just, it was the right thing to do. But yeah, that was a very scary moment. Holy crap. Oh, wow. We've heard some, some real scary moments <laughs> in all these podcasts. That's a good one. That's a scary. Oh, uh, on top of it, I forgot we had, we had, we had caught two fish very quickly when it came up and we just, we just pulled a fish in the boat when the wind started coming up and those two fish became, uh, became slime meal food or, or, or crab bait. Yeah. Because when the waves were coming in the boat, the fish were just sloshing around, boom, I boom, banging everything. And I told Brian, my deckhand, I said, "Open up the fish door, kick them out," because it's making the boat more unstable. It just, you know, they they were coming up into the the JC had no no door. There was just curtains, and they were coming up into the fish box. They were just just like a cooler floating around in the cockpit with water. Just boom, boom. And as hard as that was to do, you know, it was, it was the right thing to do. I've fished on that boat and I'm putting myself in that situation and I can't, I, I, I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a bad, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I, I have some pictures. A lot of other boats took pictures and, and you could just, you know, they say the camera doesn't do it justice. Maybe we'll have but, to put that on our Instagram with, yeah. with another picture. Yeah. If, if you, you have a good one, if you have a good yeah. picture that text it over, cause we can, I'll have, I'll have to look for it. But awesome. the camera does, even with the camera, it looks big. You know, like yeah. I said, you could, you know, when we say we're fishing in eight footers, you see it on TV. It looks it like it's flat, yeah, it flat calm. No, but right. this, this, this look, this look bad. Oh, wow. Wow. 
Well, we're going to let you go skiing, but how do people find you? I mean, everyone more or less knows. Did you pause it? Or no, you're good. Uh, no, no. You know, a lot of people obviously follow you. You got thousands of followers, but how do people find you on social media? And is there anything you want them to know? Charters, anything like that? Yeah, we do. We do do charters. Uh, you know, we charter from the middle of April all the way through right around the first week of December. Uh, April, May, and the first two weeks of June, we're bottom fishing for a uh, for haddock and we did have cod but hopefully we get it back uh, redfish pollock a lot of fun and then the middle of june on through uh early december it's all uh, giant giant uh, bluefin charters it's a lot of fun you got to book a year in advance we're we're pretty full and uh, not so much because of the show but we just we just have a like you guys have a great customer base we have the same people every year that book you know two three years out but you can get dates and uh if you want to go to our website you can check it out we do have a few dates open in may for haddock and early june uh, right now we only have tuna dates available early November, but our website is exactly as it appears on the back of the boat, www.fv-tuna.com or www.fishgloucester.com. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. Six people, you know, it's, uh, like I say, you just need to book well in advance. And the boat's awesome. The boat is oh, and beautiful. Social media, you know, you could uh, obviously you can you can you can you can confirm re- request me on my personal page, uh, Dave uh, Dave Carrero C A R R A R O, or you could like our tuna.com page on there. You could just search for that fe-tuna.com. It's a great page. We post uh, almost all of our fishing reports. Just fun to watch, kind of follow along, and see what we're catching, what we're not catching. And on Instagram, it's uh, what am I on Instagram? I don't even know. Fvtuna.com, I think. Is tuna.com charters maybe? Yeah, tuna yeah, tuna dot tuna.com charters yeah. on uh, on Instagram and we also post pictures on there. Not everybody has Facebook, not everybody has Instagram, some have both, some have one or the other, but you can follow us on either page. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll put all those in the uh, podcast description. Awesome. Uh, well, I really right. appreciate well, it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, this has been great. We will uh obviously be seeing you on the water here shortly. Yeah, I'll talk, I'll talk to you guys before then. But yeah, no, no skiing for me today. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to go get ready to have my femoral head removed from my left, left leg. Oh, good oh, luck with that. Yeah, good luck. Hopefully, a speedy recovery. You know. Yeah, that'll be good. I, 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 you know, I don't know when I'm going, but I'm gonna see. Uh, hey, <laughs> come here, come here, look this here, come here, come here, come, here, come up here, come here. I'm gonna get a picture. I'm gonna get a picture of the pop. Who's that? Look at that. Who's there? No, stay here. Look. Who's me. that? <laughs> Oh, awesome, man. Well, no, thank you. No, nobody's there. I said the wrong. They're so, they're so smart. Where's the, he's, if, you say, if you say who's there, he goes to the front looking for someone pulling a driveway. Right. And if you say, if you say deer, turkeys, oh, he, he, no, he goes to the back window. Okay. Oh. Pretty smart. Learning has occurred. Smarter than some of my friends. What's he do when you say tuna or fish on? Is, he, is it no, jacked not, up? Not, not yet. I, uh, his first is, hey, that's enough. There's no deer. <laughs> deer. There you go. Look. See, look. He's, look. He's, deer. <laughs> he's right here now. <laughs> right? Where's the deer? Oh, boy. Smart. Oh, Smart than awesome. some of my friends, I guess. All right. I'm going right, to hop in the shower. Good to catch up. Thanks for doing right, this. Keep in touch. Tell your pops to sit alone. We, we will. will. Thanks, Thanks again. We'll All talk right. to you later. See you guys. See you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We just want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Mass Bay Guides, LT Marine Products, Black Oak LED, Deep Apparel, and Cosa Del Mar Sunglasses. 
All the promo codes that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you can find in the podcast episode descriptions at seabrosfishing.com slash podcast or anywhere um, anywhere you guys like to listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find all that information there. Please also, if you can, take a moment. Don't forget to rate the show. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the feedback as well. Uh, we've reached out in regards to recording some Q&A sessions. We've got some great feedback, some great questions. So if you can, just take a minute, throw us a rating online, and and keep this thing going. We're, we've been having a blast doing it, and we, and we really want to continue it for as long as possible. So again, thank you, and, uh, and we appreciate you all listening. For the latest content, uh, podcast info, fishing reports, general updates. Please make sure that you check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Seabros Fishing, Mass Bay Guides, or our personal accounts, MBG Taylor and MBG Brian. Um, if you have ideas for podcast topics, podcast guests, you know, where they're on there all the time, very responsive. Please don't hesitate to, to reach out and, um, and uh, shoot the breeze with us if you, if you want to talk fishing or if you want to just brainstorm on the podcast. Um, also, if you are interested in getting some Seabros swag, uh, maybe one of our Tuna Mark patch hats that seem to be pretty popular. Uh, we came out with buffs this year that have like a wolf pack on them that are pretty cool, like a wolf pack of tuna or whatever fish species that you like to mark on your fish finder. Uh, those are also available at the Seabros website. So just visit seabrosfishing.com right there on the front page. You can uh, scroll through the the gallery of products that we offer uh, so far. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and stay tight.